I am super excited to have you back for another episode of Red Receipt. It's a deep dive into the how and why of the brands we love and the creatives behind them. From blueprints to launch day, customers as community, and the detours in between. Big lessons and easy listening. Red Receipt is hosted by Antidote, the email and SMS marketing agency by people who hate boring email. This week on the podcast, I spoke with Michael Wider, the co-founder of Lalo, a baby and toddler brand built for the parents in the room. It all started with a beautifully designed high chair and instant success when it sold out in minutes. With a parent's first mindset, Lalo has developed a business model that supports parents building products that grow with your little one while looking beautiful in your home. Keep listening to hear more about becoming a community-led business, how they initially launched, and where they're headed for the future. As always, thanks for tuning in, and we hope you enjoy the show. Uh, Where are you based out of? Are you in New York? I'm, I'm based in Brooklyn, yeah. Are you from Brooklyn originally or New York area? Yeah, I grew up in the New York area. Um, live in Brooklyn and Park cool. Slope. Are, uh, I'm excited to to hear a little bit of background on the brand. What what is your uh, background professionally before before the brand launched? Uh, before we launched Lalo, uh, my background is all over the place. Always a bit entrepreneurial. Um, I started my career. Um, in sports and entertainment. I was actually started my first company while I was in college, um, managing musicians and producing events, and then uh, took that to becoming a sports agent, actually, and then got back to my entrepreneurial roots and started a fitness tech company, uh, bootstrapped that, ended up shutting it down, and then went to uh, an early, early stage tech company called Way Up, um, stayed there all the way through the Series B. And that's where I met Greg, who's my co-founder at Lalo. Um, so stayed there for just over three years. Um, Greg had left about a year and change in, and we relinked up to, to start Lalo. What, uh, what was the original idea behind Lalo? Pretty, pretty uh, big industry jump. Going from like a tech startup, right? Yeah, I mean, I've been, I've been in so many different industries, whether it's music, sports, fitness, college recruiting, HR tech, and uh, and now babies. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's it's always been a big jump. But you know, one thing I always, you know, I sink my teeth in to become an expert in whatever I've immersed myself into, um, and I think that's part of becoming an entrepreneur is really constantly learning um, about what whatever you've um, decided to dive into. Uh, but Lalo really started from, you know, Greg and I catching up and Greg saying, I'm seeing this crazy thing with friends and family who are having kids. It is crazy how they buy things and how much they buy and the br- how many brands of things. They don't even know what they're buying and why they need it and how much they're spending and blah, 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 blah. I think there's something here. Do you want to work on it? I was like, yes, I agree. And my wife and I are starting to try. And yes, let's figure this out before we have kids. And so that's kind of how we started to dive into it. And from there, uh, we just started surveying parents and trying to get the, the most objective point of view on what was wrong, right? Like we had this perception that something was wrong and uh, something that needed to be fixed. And, you know, so the best way was just to start talking to people and figure out what that that white space or um, the problem to be solved was. 
were you just sending out uh, or asking like friends and family for information? Did you guys do like a survey type thing? Yeah. So it was literally a survey monkey and we would send it out to friends, ask them to send to friends who had, uh, you know, other friends that were parents. We would infiltrate parenting groups on Facebook and ask people to post it there if they were active. Um, and from there, we got thousands of responses and really, really good information. Um, and really what we learned is that the brands were so disconnected from the parents so that this, the, the actual experience of shopping in this category was broken. It wasn't that every product in the category is broken and it's still not. There are tons of great products that aren't Lalo. We happen to make some of the best in our opinion, but there's um, the space was really how to build a deeper connection, how to build a brand that really um, interacted with parents in the way that they wanted to be interacted with through better shopping experience, better service and fantastic products. What was the idea initially? Like, did you guys knowing that it was like a brand problem and not a specific product or category, like how did you think about developing product to a company building a brand that you felt like connected with people better? Yeah. So as we set out to build a brand, the main thing that we said was we were, what we or what we saw was brands were marketing through this idea of, of basically perpetuating fear and anxiety that already existed in parents. So your kid's not going to sleep if you don't buy this, or they're not going to eat if you don't buy that. And like, that's generally not true, right? Like parents are already can be overwhelmed by the process. Becoming a parent is a brand new experience for everybody who's, who's um, able to do that. And that's daunting in and of itself. And we wanted to create an experience that allowed parents to focus on that, focus on your family, focus on the importance of that and not spend so much time and energy and shopping and research and all this, have a brand that you can trust, but a brand that could be there for you as much as possible. So in the past, the products, what we saw is there was a lot of um, just fragmentation in the market, right? They sell cribs, they sell high chairs, they sell strollers. Like what if there was a brand that could sell as much as possible and you can have a brand that uh, you can trust for as much as possible, but more importantly, be there with your customer through as many milestones and memories so that you can market really, really effectively through love instead of through fear. So for us, it was about pacing our product roadmap so that we could be there at multiple milestones. So, you know, the great thing is that generally speaking, um, you know, and this is, you know, obviously there, there, there are children, unfortunately, that don't, that don't, um, fit what would be what the CDC outlines as, as the, the path of milestones, but putting that aside there, you know, most children will walk or roll over or sit up or start solids in a certain time frame, And there's there, that's a window. It's not like they do all do it on the same day. But you can track that so you can create enough products for certain milestones, but also for different buying behaviors as well. There are certain products that are really, really early stage that belong on baby registries for baby showers and gifting. And then there are later stage products that the parents typically buy themselves or might make a first birthday gift. So it's really finding the right products to market to the right people at the right time, um, which is the challenge of any business, right? But is uh, unique in the business that we're in. Were you still at your job and at the tech startup at that time? Did you like, did you guys jump into working on this full time? 
No, no, not at all. We, um, so we started the, the seed of the idea is just over five years old. Um, and that was, you know, the survey and all of that were, were, that was happening while we had jobs. We started talking to people and learning about product development and design and all of that. While we still had jobs, we would take early morning meetings or late night calls. One of the great things about making products is a lot of products are made overseas. So sneaking in a, a call overseas at 11 is, I'm still doing calls at 11 overseas. So that's not, um, that's not changed, but you know, it makes working nights and weekends more possible because you have to be like, you have to do it when you have a job. So we, um, we probably, we worked on the idea really intensely for about six months before we quit our jobs. We didn't quit our jobs until we raised a little bit of money and we had a first prototype of our products. Um, we, you know, we wanted to feel it was really real before we jumped full force into it. Greg was just married. I was married and, and trying to have a kid and, you know, we weren't just going to like put it all on the line in that way until it felt really real. Um, but at the same time, we, when we did quit our jobs, we didn't pay ourselves for a long time. We grinded, we hustled, um, and we made it all happen. Did, uh, six months to get a prototype and like work on the brand is pretty quick, right? Um, so the first proto, yeah, there were some initial, pro it was not like the first working, like fully functional and ready to go to market prototype. It was not oh, what okay. we call a golden sample, which means like you're ready to kick off production. This was, it feels like we're headed in the right direction, but there's still a lot of work to happen to bring it to life. And then about a year later was when, so it was about a year and a half development to bring our first product to market. Did you guys already have connections like in the, uh, space of raising money did you uh did you know other founders like in a similar space we i mean look we both worked in the venture back world in the tech world previously so we knew some people to go and talk to and you know every conversation every no should lead to another conversation even if it doesn't lead to a check um we are not very traditionally funded we have a ton of you know early on we had I think it was, you know, before we first took our first institutional check, we had 90 individuals on our cap table, um, which were 90 cheerleaders to root for us when we launched. Um, and we hustled and Greg, my co-founder who, who, who kind of leads the fundraising efforts on our side, all power to him. Like a lot of founders hate fundraising. Greg is good at it and he enjoys making the connections and, has his way of doing it that works. Um, but we've also made a decision to not be very traditionally funded. And um, that means that that doesn't mean it's been easy. Um, it's certainly fundraising for any business is unless your Elon Musk is hard. Like that's it. Yeah. Unless you can just text people for a couple bill. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Did you, uh, did you guys end up bringing in, other groups to help you on the brand side of it, knowing how important the like brand creative was. So we helped, we had some external folks come in on the execution, like, you know, are we going to, you know, the art direction for our shoot or, you know, the actual design work, but it's really funny. Um, and this is when I talk to really early stage founders, um, that start asking me about which agency they should hire to do their branding. I ask them to articulate their brand to me first, because if you're a founder and you don't know how to articulate your positioning and what your brand is and why people should buy your products, 
no one, no agency Pretty is going to do. Yeah, no agency is going to help you. Like you have to be able to define it. So, you know, we would take meetings with agencies that do big branding projects, the biggest names out there, and every meeting that we would take we would refine our already known way that we wanted to present the brand to the world. We would, we would take nuggets and it would help us refine it down. And it would help us because we would be talking to these really smart branding folks, but we already knew in our gut what we wanted. So by the time we were able, we wanted to execute on it, there was such a precise articulation of what we wanted out of the brand that it was easier to bring to life. And from there, we've always brought in different creatives to help us uh, bring the brand to life, but we've always led the strategy internally. I mean, I personally, I think you have to do that. Even if you were to work with an agency on building the brand, like there's no way at that stage, if you have any hesitancy on the way that you want to position it, like you are essentially leaving the entire business up to people that aren't as involved. Like the chances totally. of you hitting on that are pretty low. Yeah, people will, there are brands that will take their venture funding and go spend six figures on a brand book that has a manifesto and a positioning statement and a vision statement and a mission statement and all this BS, but at the end of the day, don't know how to go and execute. And they just, they just have this book that has words in it. Um, and for, for us, it was way more important to be spending those precious early dollars on things that were going to get put in the world. So if we were going to go and bring the brand to life, we wanted a photo shoot or um, our packaging or, you know, um, you know, our initial email templates. We, we needed all of that design like that needed to be the output of the branding work, um, not, um, you know, as an early stage scrappy company, not a uh, 30 page brand guidelines. Yeah, I always think that's so fascinating. Like, how often do you go back to that? I, I mean, the value of it is all based on how you actually use it. And I think, like, uh, mm -hmm. you guys doing brainstorming on it and, like, refining your idea is so much more valuable because then you, like, talk about it to the people around you. You, That's, like, how you communicate. And it's also, like, a living evolution of it versus like putting so much time into like a singular deck that ultimately for sure is going to be outdated the moment that you're done obviously and no one even sees it absolutely what i tell my team on the marketing side and what any creative that works with is two things number one is that brands are living breathing organisms the best brands constantly are evolving and growing they are not stagnant um the second is that every creative we brought on needs to be able to bring their own take on their articulation of our brand. It needs to have the same truth, the same undertone, the same uh, common thread throughout it that makes it feel Lalo. But every creative is super talented and there's an ability to expand on our brand and make it stronger or you know hit in a different way um, and just not rinse and repeat. Yeah, I totally agree. What was it like? Uh, so after you spent time developing the product and the brand, how did you guys go about launching initially? Did uh, especially because the categories that, that you got into were pretty uh, capital intensive, right? 
Yeah. I mean, for us, you know, buying that initial inventory and coming to market, it was, uh, you know, the most important thing to us at the start. And this is, we used to use these two words, nonstop pre-launch. And we still do because we're launching a ton of new product is building trust and validation. So if we focus on building trust and validation, we will win, especially in this category. People need to trust that our product and our brand is going to deliver on what we say it's going to deliver, and we need to validate it through external sources. People don't respond in any sense by just people bragging about themselves, whether that's your social media, your advertising, whatever. That is not going to win at its highest level. What's going to win is... Uh, by building trust and validation, by having external sources saying the same things you're saying, saying that you're great and that someone else should believe it too. And that can be a customer word of mouth, that could be an influencer, that could be the press, a product review, you name it. Um, There are many ways to build trust and validation and we bet early on those channels, the channels that we believe would bring the most trust and validation early. What, uh, What were the main channels that you felt like paid back paid paid back in trust and validation maybe not even like conversion influencer press and then you know cx customer experience those are the those are the three most important channels building trust and validation and what was the experience like after launching the brand did you uh did you guys see growth initially that you felt like validated the uh theory that you had around the space you know, it, it was interesting. Our first product was a stroller, which we don't sell anymore. It hasn't been around since August 21 because, at, you know, what happened was, you know, that product gained us a ton of notoriety, celebrities contacting us, commenting on our Instagram about our brand launching. Um, and that product did fine. But when we launched our high chair, it took off. And we saw that our high chair could really be the focal point of our brand. And then from there, we can expand within the home. And it became very clear in talking to our customers that they wanted more from Lalo in our home. So last year, we made the decision, 21, to triple down on in-the-home products, expand within the home, um, and continue focusing on areas that our customers want us to be in their lives. So uh, I would say... It's, you know, there in any business, there's ups and downs. I mean, a year into our business, COVID, the, you know, global pandemic hit. You don't, you know, you got to figure out how you're going to survive. Like no one knew that first week what was going to happen. And, you know, we were lucky because we were in an industry that was lagging in terms of e-com and D2C adop, adop, um, adoption. And the pandemic obviously made that take off, you know, people had no choice. So, you know, uh, an industry that was probably in the low single digits in terms of e-com was now very well into the double digits and, you know, a ton of activity, you know, big box stores that sell baby products were, you know, that maybe were selling 70% of their product in store. were now selling 70% of their product online. So, you know, being digital first allowed us to just maintain our strategy and not pivot while all these other players in the space had to pivot and figure out how they were going to do it. It's it's funny because the uh, product that I've seen in person most is definitely the high chair. I have a couple friends that, who've recently had kids and they uh, have the high chair. And I, I, my wife and I have two kids now. We just, we had a 
our second, uh, I think six weeks ago Congrats. at this point. And, uh, yeah, I feel like there definitely is not much in terms of like shit that you actually are into design wise that you are, feel like any connection to that you would bring into your house and then have like, as your kids grow throughout life. Yeah. I mean, for us, you know, we have a, a tagline that we use a lot and it's posted all around our store in New York City is just just their size, just your style. And, you know, we want to make products that can, you know, obviously be great for your child, but also, you know, your home is a precious thing. A family home is a precious thing. And look, it's inevitable your home is going to be a mess and a disaster with kids and toddlers and whatnot, but at least it should look a little pretty <laughs> and not everything has to be shiny and neon and blinking um you know there are moments to just have uh you know uh, a minimal but you know sufficient approach to the product you need for you coming from tech and also your your business partner and co-founder what was it like getting into a, a physical product category that takes so much time for development because you talked about launching with the stroller and then pivoting yeah and the amount of time that it takes to pivot I feel like would be a drastic uh, change, just like in a level of patience and also foresight. Yeah, being in the physical good space, you have to have a lot more patience. Um, and that was something we learned early on, for sure. Uh, however, I think being in the tech world and having that DNA ingrained in us has been very helpful in a lot of different ways. You know, some of the speed that tech companies can move any company can appreciate that. I mean, speed does lead to growth. And you have to understand when you move a speed, you're still going to hit speed bumps that you don't see, right? And you're going to like, oh, that's going to slow me down now a little bit. Um, but it's how you get through that. So, you know, we talk about that a lot, right? It's important to go fast. Um, and it's important to feel those speed bumps so that you can learn uh, what's the right speed to go. We, we also, you know, being immersed in the tech world has helped us in terms of how we think about our site experience and how we leverage technology for our business. Um, you know, we've been pretty tech forward in terms of, you know, um, how we leverage Shopify, how we build the right experience. And, you know, even things like earlier this year, we launched augmented reality on our site. So some of our core products, you can see them in your home first. Our conversion rate on customers that use the augmented reality is 10x what our normal conversion rate is. So I think, you know, we never, never considered us, ourselves a tech company, even though we're in e com world. Um, but we certainly, you know, tech is certainly a big part of our business. In, in terms of team, what's it been like for you developing and building out a team also coming from a, a different perspective? I think it's interesting that you guys come from a different background because you don't have like some of the playbooks that maybe somebody being in like more of the brand world would have going into building, building a, a new business, which I think is somewhat of an advantage because you don't have as many like preconceived notions about the shape of the business that you want to create. Yeah. I mean, we, I think we just are very, gut oriented people, um, both Greg and I, um, 
and that that helps us be able to really know what we want. Um, you know, we validate through data a lot, but you know, being able to make quick decisions, being able to have conviction, have opinions, disagreements, is really helpful for us as co-founders, but it's also really helpful for our team. Um, it's the same, you know, when we make a decision and when we get behind something, we march full steam ahead. And that's really, really helpful. I think coming from different backgrounds, it, it really, you know, we have a saying, or it's actually a company value of ours, write your own playbook. Um, you know, what, what that means is that there, are, of course, are best practices. There are things to, to do that are, quote unquote, right, or will point you in the right direction. But every business is unique. Every individual and their skill set is unique. And everybody should be charting their own path forward. Um, and we want to be leaders. We want people to look to what we've done as a model for what future companies can do. Um, and the only way to do that is to break the mold. What do you feel like have been some of your biggest learnings since launching the brand? I mean, obviously, or at least from the outside looking in, it seems like you've had a, a ton of growth since launching. Also, like pivoting in product uh category from the initial launch um in terms of learnings i i i think there's there's probably a few core learnings um number one neither of us came from physical product background so just like actual learning and the speed at which we had to learn there was incredible and you know product development is, isn't just a function or an industry it's also it's a language you have to learn to be able to sit with a manufacturer factory and be able to have a conversation about manufacturing process or negotiate. And there's a lot to learn. And, you know, we learned a ton very quickly by surrounding ourselves with really smart people. I think the other thing is that you entrepreneurs in general, but definitely in, in I think the D 2 C world or the consumer goods space is that sunk cost fallacy is something that, you you have to face and you have to just like put out there that there are decisions you you make that are gonna that are gonna end up not being right but you can't dig yourself into a deeper hole if it's not working it's better sometimes to just cut bait move on and put it in the rearview mirror and focus on the things that are helping scale and grow the business if you focus on things that aren't delivering value just because there's a sunk cost associated with it you're going to end up potentially digging yourself into a really, really big hole. How do you guys view like time horizon for success, knowing that you've uh, raised some money, but also that you're in an industry where I feel like the, the trust and validation path, like obviously is a longer term play as you expand categories and become like a resource for for parents throughout all the stages that they go through for us i don't think they're you know that's not where our focus is our focus is on making this the biggest thing possible um meaning we're in the most homes possible we are interacting with as many families as possible and until we have a, you know, what we would consider a considerable market share in our core products, we're um, that, you know, who knows how long that will take. Um, but we want to be, you know, a leading 
lifestyle brand, generational brand um, with families for a long time. And you, I know you mentioned the retail store that you guys launched. Uh, is that something that you're looking to expand, like in-person experiences? Physical retail and physical uh, expression of the brand and community building has always been a core part of our business and our brand. We actually had a showroom in Soho that was a fourth floor apartment at launch. Um, and we used to be appointment only. You can come and see and test our products. And we held events there and classes and things like that too that drove people in. Our office was in the back. And then we shut that during the pandemic. And during the pandemic, we were constantly saying, when are we going to open a store? When are we going to bring it up? You know, what does the retail environment look like? And uh, in November 21, we finally opened our flagship store in NoHo uh, in Manhattan. And it's been awesome. Um, so, you know, the, the answer is that like we're really focused on that New York store right now. We have a lot more products to launch and, you know, operating an omni-channel business, it, it you know, brings different learnings and challenges and we still have a lot to continue to grow and expand in that store and learn, but it's really been an amazing experience and uh, has come to life in the way that we've wanted as part showroom, part store, part community and event space. And, uh, you know, one day we do hope to have more of those cathedral flagship stores around the country. How do you think about testing on new products and, uh, and validating ideas early in, in the space of developing physical products? Do you guys do a lot of like customer feedback type, type situations? We do. We do. We actually have something that we call the Lalo Fam Council. And uh, about twice a year, we open up applications to that. So we, we email our customers. The applications are open. They can apply to be a part of that. It's an exclusive community of customers that are give us product feedback, test new products, get exposed to what we're doing behind the scenes, um, and provide critical feedback. And that's a mixture of both parents and grandparents that are on that council. Um, today, it's about, I think, 50 folks, um, and we have a Slack channel with them, communicating with them weekly. Um, it's a nice little community, and that will continue to grow and expand as we open up applications, um, which we'll do. We just finished our last round, so mid-next year, we'll, we'll do it again. But also during those applications, we get a ton of feedback, um, you know, asking people what products they want to see from us and what they like and what they don't like and what they'd like to see Lalo improve on. And that feedback is really a helpful engine for feeding us ideas, um, getting feedback and helping us improve. Did you and your uh, co-founder work directly together at the, the previous company where you guys worked? Yeah, so it's actually a funny story. Like he was out at YC and Y Combinator with them as the fourth employee, and they were all living in a house together in San Francisco. While they were there, I was consulting for the brand, helping with some brand marketing stuff and partnerships. And while they were there, um, the CEO decided that she wanted to hire me full time and told Greg that she just hired his best friend. And I was the fifth employee. He was the fourth employee. Came back, you know, from YC back to New York, and uh, we're working together. We're on leading up brand marketing partnerships, and, and he's the head of sales. So we worked very, very closely together, and, and just became coworkers and friends through that as well. That's awesome. Has it? Uh, what's it been like working 
in more of like a, I guess you you might have been in a leadership role at the past company together also, but in the in a co-founder role with somebody that you're also uh, like beyond just coworkers, friends with. It's great. I mean, we you know we don't think of this relationship as best friends, or you know, I think that's a very slippery slope, and I'll never forget Greg and I in the early days used to, uh, before we had kids and, um, weren't sleeping, um, we would get breakfast every Wednesday morning, um, and just catch up. And very early on, we did two things that were really critical to, I think the success in building a strong foundation for our relationship as co-founders and of the business. The first is we wrote down on paper, literal, like, I think it was written on a napkin and then put into a Google sheet who what owned what decision. So which parts, which functions of the business, each of us was the final decision maker on. Given that we were gonna collaborate and we were both opinionated people, we needed to know who owns that. So when we disagreed or there was not a consensus, there was a final decision maker and when that decision was made, the other person got on board and we marched ahead. That's super helpful and I recommend that to any co-founder relationship at any stage, but it's super helpful at the beginning. It also has helped our team know who's the decision maker on what as well and who to come to for what. So there doesn't end up being a, I'm going to go ask mom if dad says no kind of thing. The other thing is that one day at that breakfast, he looked me in the eye and he said, we need to act more like brothers, not like friends. And what that means is we need to be able to argue and disagree and come out the other side, still loving each other and continuing on. And I think that's really been critical in creating the foundation for our relationship as co-founders. Do you guys check in with each other often to like make sure that the honesty and uh, maybe like healthy arguing continues? Like, was that something that was part of your relationship before that you felt like was natural or did you have to actually work to make that happen? I think it's just naturally who we are as people. We're both opinionated. We're both gut-oriented. We're both, um, you know, we're able to make decisions quickly um, and with conviction. And there's definitely no shortage of it. I mean, we're talking a lot. You know, we have our more structured check-ins with each other, but um, we're also calling each other at 9.30 at night when we're walking up the dogs, checking in on the day, seeing what's going on. What, you know, is there anything going on with the team or is there anything that they noticed today, any interesting trend that popped up in the business that um, that we noticed in the data that day, um, decisions about products or whatever, you know, it's just casual talk and it could just be about life too. So, you know, could be, you know, the other night just called me and said, I'm not going to sleep tonight because we just moved our, our toddler into a toddler bed. And I'm like, good luck, man. So, you know, we just, we connect on co-founder life. We connect on parenthood. <laughs> we connect on the, all the levels. Um, and, uh, you know, and we're, we're, you know, we have a lot of things that are in common and we're also very different people and have a lot of respect for one another. And that's. Do really you feel cool. like it's been helpful for you guys having kids after launching the brand or around launching the brand? I'm not sure of the timeline on you guys having kids. Yeah, we both of us had kids after. So my wife and I were going through our own infertility journey while we were launching the brand. Um, a year after launching, we had our first, and Greg had his first two months after that. And then recently in May, Greg had his second, and then in August, I had my second. So we're following each other and celebrating amazing life things together too. Um, 
So yeah, I, I think it was helpful to not be parents in the very early days so we could listen really objectively to, uh, to what parents and our ultimately our customer would want and, and get the difference. Because everybody has a perspective. Everybody has an opinion on, on things in this space. And we were able to kind of sort through those things and figure out which are the maybe the, where's the like, where's that average lie? What is the average opinion? You know, we don't want to go to the outlier opinions. And we were able to be really objective about that and kind of find the the most common thread throughout the, the feedback we were receiving. Um, but now as parents, it also gives us a, a totally different perspective around what parents really do need and what they don't need and things to look for and different holes and opportunities in a way that we couldn't have done as not parents. But we've also added a ton of people on our team that are parents. I think our team is 80% parents. So, you know, we're, we're surrounded by people with different experiences and different parenting styles and different types of children. So, um, you know, we have a, we have a, a team of parents building things for parents. Looking back since launching the brand and, and seeing the growth, is there anything that you would go back and give yourself advice on? It doesn't have to change any of the outcomes or anything, but it might have been helpful to know or have insight into. That's a really good question. Um, from day one, you know, your question about patience before coming from the tech world. Um, I wish I knew that day one. Uh, you know, there to have a little bit more patience early on. Um, there are probably still moments my team would say that there there are times I could have a little more patience or slow down. Yeah, I feel like that would be so difficult. Me not. Uh, I mean, I've had product related roles in the past. I worked for Vans for VF, and the footwear development timelines are like a year and a half out. So, but I think by that, but in the beginning of a brand, you're not uh, constantly in that cycle yet. Like you get to launch and you're finally seeing like what people think of the product. And then you have so long before the iterations or pivots come after that. I think yeah. me being in a constant cycle of it made it easier because you were constantly working on the next thing, but I feel like it would be so hard doing that the first round, not knowing what the reactions were going to be and knowing that you would need to make changes that would ultimately not come for X amount of time, like a super unknown experience. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard. It's hard. I mean, that's where having conviction really helps. Um, getting feedback early helps. And so, you know, when we, when we launched the high chair, we knew it was going to be a hit and that may sound cocky, but we, the second we saw the design, the final design, we were like, that's gonna, that's just going to sell. There's nothing like it. And then we, um, we started showing people the design and the reactions were like, yes, I need one tomorrow. Um, and so when we launched it to that, the fact that we sold out our first batch in six hours made sense. Um, you know, and we sold out a bunch, you know, after that. And now we're in a place where, you know, we can plan inventory or in a much more, you know, stable place as a business that, you know, we, we typically don't go out of stock on our hero products because we know the demand. Um, but yeah, it's, it, it's hard to, to, re to remain patient there. And, and it was hard early on.
Um, and, you know, we, yeah, we made change, you know, we launched the second generation of our high chair um, because, you know, we, we heard from customers there were things to make better and improve on a, a high chair that was already great. So we did it. It just took us, a little, you know, you have to go through the real process of testing it and doing it right. So you're, there's, especially in babies, there's no cutting corners. Um, can't cut corners. Do you guys have like a group of advisors that you check in with often? Do you, or do you feel like that's more valuable coming from the customer themselves? No, we do. We definitely, we definitely do. I mean, we have people with all different sorts of experiences from uh, consumer behavior to operations, supply chain, sourcing, um, you name it, there's, you know, it's always important to talk to people that have been there and done it before. Um, you always have to then adapt it and understand what it means for you and your business. But yeah, we have a, a ton of uh, trusted advisors that we can turn to. Um, and any entrepreneur should, no one knows everything. How, uh, how long has it been since the brand initially launched now? The brand launched in March, 2019. So three and a half years. Um, and yeah, it's been a wild three and a half years. It feels like a decade. <laughs> I mean, I feel like the brand's definitely made a big impact. Uh, I don't know if it's because I have, I'm like in the time of life where I have, I have young kids, friends are having young kids, but uh, yeah, I feel like the, the high chair itself is like such a ubiqu ubiquitous product already. And it feels like something that already like should have existed or did previously. Um, yeah. So congrats on everything so far. Thank you. It means a lot. Right, 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 right.